One of my favorite things to do whenever I go home to Lincoln, Massachusetts to visit my parents is to take their dog, Bronte, for a run through the woods which abut our house. There's nothing quite like rushing past leafy trees and under canopies of towering pines. And no matter how keen I am to make a good time, I always slow when I round a bend and the ponds and wetlands stretch out before me. And I'm not the only one. As Bronte, and her predecessor Alcott even more so, raises her snout to pant in the muddy marsh air, and at a moderate clip, wades deep into the mud. Someday, I think I'll go on a run when she doesn't insist on dirtying her paws and forelegs. But it hasn't happened yet. We live in a messy world. I had the privilege of helping chaperone a trip of young adventurers to Nicaragua, where they learned about the missionary work Elizabeth Elliot is doing there, teaching in Matagalpa. And Nicaraguans are rightly proud of the natural beauty of their nation. But that doesn't, present, doesn't prevent the phenomenon of refuse of some kind being left virtually everywhere human beings could reach. It is not only our own garbage that clings to our feet. Sometime later, while traveling in Haiti, billows of arid dust would cake on my shoes, leaving me with a dilemma. How could I begin to wash them off with water when it was carried in on foot? And when just a short time before, many had died in a drought. How hard it is to think of cleanliness, let alone spiritual things, in such circumstances. To quote the 20th century German playwright Bertolt Brecht, first comes feeding, then comes morals. Man lives from iniquity alone. Now, perhaps he overstates his case. But whether we have or have not, this world is dirty. And you don't need to travel far to see it. Cross this city and you will likely find places where you can't tread without crushing empty vials of dope under your feet. A friend of mine, whom I treasure and admire, is a consummate host. And when I returned to New Haven for the first time since graduating, he told me to invite my friends from across the university, many of whom I'd not seen for over a year, to his place. And he put out cheeses and pâtés and good wine and drink and made conviviality his business. We socialized late into the night. He even produced a few choice lines of verse until, at the end of the evening, he learned that someone had yet to witness the saberage technique of opening a champagne bottle. And so, pattering off to the kitchen, he produced a knife, which, after swearing us never to tell his wife he was using for this purpose, 
he swiftly ran the blade down the bottleneck so that the cork and the glass lip sheared clear off and shot across the room. And bubbly ambrosia frothed up and it dribbled all over the floor before he poured out the glasses. And walking back home with the friend with whom I was staying, laughing at how wonderful and how wonderfully predictable a fellow he is, the soles of our shoes were still sticky with champagne. Indeed, it's on the soles of our feet that the dust of Haiti and the champagne slick commingle. Feet are where our bodies, however high-minded, connect with a world so scarred with abuse at the hands of those given dominion over it. That is, so scarred by our abuse of it. And it is with our feet that we are most clearly rooted in a world sullied with the consequences of sin that cling and cake and follow us wherever we go. Little children seem to know by intuition that feet are never clean. They jump into puddles, they leap into sandboxes, and they fly into piles of leaves. If only Peter had been more childlike. Perhaps then, when Jesus offered to wash his feet, he would have understood. He would have seen that no matter what you bathe in, whether it's the most luxuriant soap, or indeed the blood of the lamb, your feet are going to get dirty. Even before he died for his disciples' sins, Christ had made them clean. But he nevertheless stooped low, washing their feet. In that instance, he was lifting them up out of this world, giving them a moment in which to experience being completely clean, head to toe, and thereby granting a glimpse of what it means to be raised from this earth as we will be at the last when we come into his eternal presence. Can you imagine it, let alone understand it? What it would be like for Jesus to come here and wash your feet right now, to sense his hands scrubbing away all the wounds of being sinned against and sinning, to close your eyes and feel all traces of the pain and guilt rinsed away from your ankles down to those hard-to-reach places between your toes. How could Jesus do it? How could he dare to handle such things? But if one stops to think about his life, one sees how consistent this uncomfortable act was 
with how he loved. Jesus kept company with those whom others scorned. He openly acknowledged that he consorted with sinners. And this was not because he was blind to their faults, but because he never let their faults blind him to their capacity for goodness. A goodness he could animate in loving them. It is surely scandalous that a rabbi and Lord would wash feet. But that is not even the most shocking piece of this story. God incarnate has the power to transgress boundaries like that. Of course he does. But Jesus turns and asks us to do the same. To look upon one another and love each other. Not for who we are now, but for who we can and will be by his grace. Which he poured out in the events of this Tritium Sacrum, these three days leading up to Easter. What faith in him it takes to look upon a family, a community, indeed a whole world of sinners, and mentally scrape away the faults which conceal their true selves. Manage it, and you'll win a glance of who they and we may be after we have spent the gift of this world, prodigal sons and daughters that we are, and have found our eternal home with God. It is very difficult to do to wash each other's feet. I thought long and hard if I could produce but one time when I felt I had truly washed a fellow disciple's feet. To have laid bare the glory of the image of God in a fellow Christian. And the closest I could come happened in my sixth grade confirmation class. And it was a small group. And attendance, well, I suppose we should say it varied week to week. And this late afternoon, it was particularly low. So there couldn't have been more than four or five of us seated in a circle before the chancel steps in the plain brick and clabbered church. And I remember the wintry light, like nothing you folks get down here spilling a sort of fuzzy dreariness in through the windows. I remember well looking out those windows because they were located behind Megan, who sat to my right. And she was in her motorized chair, and it was easier to stare out into the gray day than to look at her. That was easier than watching the drool pool out of her mouth or regarding the startling way 
which her eyes would suddenly swivel around and look at me with this look of something of desperation. We were talking about helping others. Perhaps it was the story of those men who brought a paralytic through the roof to Jesus. I really can't recall the details. But Megan struggled to sound out the words. And she said, Sometimes people help me. And I feel like I'm being lifted up. And I remember thinking that she had said something profound. How in helping others we don't achieve an end so much as we lift others up and away. Up and away from a cruel and difficult world. Such aid is much like washing feet. When we strip away the detritus of faults and of fears, to behold our brothers and sisters in Christ as they will be in their true home. It was only later that I realized that Megan probably really was being lifted up out of her chair, into her bed, into the bath, and back to the chair. But those details, they were like dust on her feet. Megan knew something Peter and I had missed. And the Lord let me see it. He let me wash Megan's feet. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus told his disciples while their feet were still damp. And in his first letter, John writes, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is completed in us. Feet, they can never stay clean. You and I have Christ's love completed in us again and again. Each time we scrape away faults to uncover the beloved children God has given us for companions in this life. What a great and secret joy there is in being a slave like Jesus. What a great and secret joy. Tonight, may you lay aside your outer garments and take your basin and towel to go from this place and scrub. Scrub. Scrub until that secret shines out for the whole world to see.
Amen.